0: Welcome, I'm Fran Solomon, founder of Heal Grief and home of Actively Moving Forward, where we consider young adult grief to be a silent epidemic. We so appreciate the opportunity to present during these difficult times and hope to shed some light on various ways we can use technology to support grieving individuals after a death loss. During this webinar, we'll dive into the fears and concerns of doing so and how to mitigate them. First, a bit of information about Heal Grief. Heal Grief Incorporated and launched in 1994 as a virtual database of supportive services called National Grief Support Services, NGSS. In 2012, NGSS had a significant facelift, a name change to what is now known as Heal Grief, and micro-focused on bereavement care. Today, Heal Grief enjoys serving over 6,500 new users weekly and from around the globe. Virtual services include Let's Talk Death, The the Lost Project, Before I Die the Virtual Wall, Actively Moving Forward, and the AMF Community App. Everything we do stems from our core belief that no one should grieve alone. And now I'd like to introduce my co-facilitator for this conversation, Andy McNeil. Hi there, I'm Andy McNeil, and certainly glad to, to be with you all. So we just wanted to share here the actual impact of grief in the world. And if you look at the stats, it's, it's pretty astonishing when you think of nearly two people dying each second. And if you multiply that exponentially by those lives that they've touched during their life and those that are grieving, the numbers are clearly in the billions.
1: Yeah. And the reason why that we think those stats are important is one of the things that, um, one of the things that, that I've recognized just throughout my career, um, I've provided brief, brief support, um, bereavement support in a variety of settings, mostly running uh, local bereavement programs. Um, and one of the things that we recognize or I recognize in the areas where I lived is we served a lot of people, but there were a lot of people that went unserved uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, they, they couldn't make it to the physical location where we were. They didn't have access to transportation or uh, maybe they lived in a more rural community further out from where we were. And so one of the, I think one of the exciting things we have in our day and time is the opportunity for technology to be able to connect with people. Um, So we thought it was important to show those stats because most people who I talk to who are providing bereavement support for every person who says, thank you for, that you're here. I'm glad I found you. They also encounter someone in the community that says, I never knew you existed. I didn't have a way to access the care and I wish that I could. Um, obviously COVID-19 and physical distancing has created a situation for all of us um, that we have to find different ways to provide and to receive care, um, bereavement care specifically. So we wanted to just find out from those of you who are on the call, how has that changed for you? Either if you're someone who's providing care, how has that impacted the work that you do? Uh, Or for someone who's seeking out support and care, how has that impacted you? How has that changed for you?
2: Hi, I'm Allie O'Brien. I am the Director of Group Support at Valerie's House in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, I have started providing young adult support via Zoom meetings and it actually has worked out like a thousand times better than in-person. Um, we talk about it every group. We're like, thank God this, this exists. Think like, we're so grateful that we have this platform and I've said it multiple times to my group too, um, of 12 people strong, which is like the biggest young adult group I've had. Um, but I've told them, you know, maybe this is how we continue going. We stay virtual. Um, so many young adults are just always moving always going somewhere always doing something working everything so having this platform available um has been an exponential help it's just been really cool to actually get people to log on to my group like in person i had three people and now i have 12. i I never imagined it would be like that so
1: did so can you if you could i i I would like to know a little bit deeper even just your Mm -hmm. conversations what is it that the group's saying are they literally saying there's no way i would have physically come to a group but now that i have this option or was it more like what what are the as you said like they're you know obviously it's it's more attending now and it sounds like they're more willing to participate in this type of thing
2: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. i think they haven't been like i wouldn't come in person i would rather be like this but they have said how they're comfortable at home or they're comfortable where they're sitting. Sometimes Mm. they happen to be at a family member's house and they go into a totally different room and, and that's okay. Like it just takes an hour out of their day just to walk into a room by themselves. Um, So I think just like the comfortability of being at home and the fact that it works for young adults, like it, we've been doing at Valerie's house, we've been doing groups with younger kids too and, and caregivers, but those haven't worked as well because young adults are just, this is our life. This is how we communicate anyway. So um, I think that's what they really have been sharing with us. Yeah. I I
1: will say, and Fran, you could probably speak to this too. We've found at, at Heal Grief, our actively moving forward program that is specifically for young adults. There was a real struggle um, for the least for the last, I'd say several years to, to get chapter like local chapters started. face-to-face. And the minute we went digital, which was actually before COVID, uh, we already had a plan because we looked at what, what young adults were needing and their preferences. And we were like, you know, kind of like if you can't beat them, join them, right? So it's like if you can't get people together face-to-face, people still need connection and support. And uh, how can we do that? So it's really by listening to our our young adults, that we started the app. And we'll talk about our app community a little bit later. Um, I'd like to to add
0: to that, Andy, and put a little bit of perspective on this this, uh, shift that we're seeing. Um, The young adult from 10 years ago literally grew up with one-on-one human connectivity and play. Um, They were only introduced to the digital world when they entered um, their older years of their 20s. Um, and now we're finding that these young adults only grew up in the digital world, and that's the way they have learned to communicate best. And they want to do it digitally and twenty four seven. So it really is a paradigm shift in communication.
2: Okay, this is Emily. Um, I'm at Aaron's house in Fort Wayne, um, and. I never thought of it that way. Um, And it's really actually a great idea. Um, We actually just stopped doing our young adult program because we weren't having people come, um, you know, maybe one, maybe none, you know, but maybe four one time. But it was so um, sporadic that we couldn't really form a group. Um, So we just kind of took a break from it. Um, because I always said I personally would never go to a physical group, um, you know, if it were me,
0: but I might actually, you know, do a virtual one. Once youth transitions to that 16, 17, 18-year-old mark, you know, they're already on to another, another developmental level. And um, definitely at 18, they don't have their um, guardian getting them to and from any place. I mean, they, they just, you know, they're not being now grabbed by the hand to go and, and get the support that they need in, in a, in a bricks and mortar location. So, you know, how do you stay connected to your members as they even matriculate out of, out of program? So, so yeah. So thank you for having that open mind.
1: I have another discussion question We wanted to start out with, and it is, um, what are your concerns about using technology for bereavement care?
0: So, uh, a thought came in um, in the uh, uh, comments: the ability to offer support in an efficient manner. We don't have the cues we get in face-to-face communication. Effectiveness, effectiveness of support. Um, yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah, that's a good concern. Body
1: language, certain things that you look for when you're in a group, you know, to really see how. People are being impacted or affected, um, certainly is an issue.
0: Um, We require um, that cameras be turned on. And if a camera can't be used, then we don't allow a participant into the group. Yeah. So that becomes a requirement. Um, And and we find that if you can have a visual, um, the face really reveals a lot of what the body is feeling. Fran and
1: I have been running um, grief support groups now online for the last several months. And again, it was a plan even before COVID. And I will say we've been able to, as facilitators, to say, you know, so-and-so, I noticed you were doing a lot of nodding when when this Mm -hmm. or that person was talking. I will say this. One of the things that's different between this and an in-person group is you can watch everyone's face on the screen at one time as opposed to, and we also limit the number that attend each group so that we can kind of see everyone. When you're sitting in a circle in person, you can't necessarily see the people next to you unless you're turning your head and looking at everyone and then looking away from the person who's talking.
2: Yeah. Right. One of the concerns in my young adult groups is kind of flow in general. And when you're on a Zoom platform or video platform, it's, it's more like someone doesn't know when someone's going to speak up. So kind of like what we're doing now in a discussion um, forum, like some people won't speak up because they think, well, I shouldn't speak first or whatever. So it's a lot more, not probing, but I definitely am like calling those out that I I know are going to answer. And then that gets the discussion going. So I have my, my couple of people that I'm like, okay, I know they're going to be comfortable answering this. So I'll pull them out and then it gets going. So flow is, is really different virtually because in person, you can speak up freely and, and not feel interruptive or whatever. But yeah, um, flow has been really big. And the other one is um, privacy and confidentiality. So I always, always stress um, the rule of, of confidentiality and privacy. And I I kind of hint to them, I'm like, just make sure you're in a safe place, you know, alone or in a private sex um, part of your house, just because if we were at Valor's house, or if we're in person right now, we would be in our private space. So however you feel comfortable, and sometimes they'll have people in the background, but it's up to them that they feel comfortable and then I'll remind them, you know, be in a safe place for everybody. So that's another concern too about this. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: Allie, one of the things I'd be interested if you guys are willing to share, and I know we are, Fran and I certainly will, I think, open to sharing your grief. Um, our sort of informed consent you know like what mm-hmm. what are our ground rules what are we saying you know is expected of people who are attending the group we actually have them initial mm-hmm. each one of those and agree and they have to sign and agree before they can even be a member yeah. of the group
0: we also implement the pass rule i mean we mm-hmm. we call on everyone to right. Um, offer their perspective of of a particular subject that may come up. And um, the ground rule is we will call on you, giving you the invitation to speak, but you can pass and not speak. Because we also know that sometimes just being part of a group listening is is therapeutic Mm -hmm. when someone may not want to be participating.
1: Another concern is that some young clients use different social networks simultaneously they have other applications open in their computer uh, whilst they are in a counseling session. I, that is very true. I, you know, all of those things are true. One of the things that we do, and, and it's interesting, I put some things on a slide. I wanted to pop these up after our discussion. And it's interesting how just about everything that I yeah, go ahead No, flip, flip to that slide. Go ahead and flip to that slide. Just about all of the things you brought up are the things that they're kind of what's out there. And then they're people's, you know, concerns and I'm going to hit one more that we didn't bring up, but I wanted to say something about confidentiality. Um, because this one comes up often when we have conversations about people, they're concerned that they can't keep confidentiality. Um, one of the things, and this was true when I, when I do in-person support groups as well, I have a group that I do once a month. It's with, um, it's an older widow widowers group in our community here and I facilitate that group. Um, And what I always say under the confidentiality is that we encourage confidentiality, but I can't guarantee confidentiality. I can guarantee you that I'm going to keep it confidential as the facilitator, as an organization, we're going to do that. When it comes to groups, it's up to everybody attending, everyone attending the group. So the reality is you can still have group members who are in an in-person group uh, who walk out of that group and talk about This person said that and that person said this. And I know a lot of the groups that I've run are sort of small communities where if you go talking about it (laughs) out in the community, people are going to know who you're talking about. So I always stress just how important it is. And certainly if we knew that confidentiality was breached, uh, we would have to take measures to uh, let that person know that they breached confidentiality and really breached the rules of the group and the safety of the group. Unlike uh, groups, one of the things I read, a uh, complaint was that they're not as personal as in-person groups, um, which is, you know, which is, can be true. Though I will say my personal experience as of late has been watching some real deep connections happen between people who, they, they had not talked to anyone else who had that loss until they came onto this group. Fran and I even had some, I call it like magical moments really where, where we would have say eight people register for a group and only two show up and the two that show up both have had a brother die or the two that show up both have had a dad die and they're able to make these really meaningful connections. So um, that's been interesting to watch. Um, But I wanted to deal with this last one. It can be difficult for caregivers to intervene in the event of a crisis. To me, when I was... Personally, I'm just going to say I can't speak for others. But of all of the things I was concerned about when it came to an online, online support in any way, shape, or form, whether it's individual counseling or it's support groups or whatever it is, is this one. The, the challenge it would be to intervene if someone in the group expressed suicidal ideation. And I'm, and I'm on a video call. And how do I prevent them from clicking off the video? Uh, When I would do when I do support groups in person, if if it comes up in the group and the person's really expressing um, uh, suicidal ideation and I'm I'm concerned, I can say to the person I can acknowledge where they are, what they're struggling with, and say, if you could, I'd like you to stay for a few minutes after the group so we can talk. And then I can I can you know keep them there in a way and have more conversation. I mean, a person could just click right off of that that video and then. I'm going, well, there's this person out there who could cause harm to themselves and I, I don't know how to help them. Um, So that was a big one when Fran and I were talking about starting these groups. So a couple of things that we've done, we require in order to be a member of the group, we require you to Give us your information. We need your phone number. We need your uh, address. Um, We're not going to share those with other people, but we need them. Uh, We need to know who are your emergency contact people? And I can't remember if we do one or two, but we do a couple of names so that if someone did go off, we we could call someone and say, and just follow up to get someone to follow up. So we've tried to create a situation where we have information that just like in an in-person group, we we will do everything within our power to get the help that that person needs to them. In, in the best way we can based on being a virtual experience
2: you mentioned about the um personal and i think that groups have gotten even more personal being that they're talking from their own space and their own home and sometimes like their bedroom or their dog is there their cat's there it's actually i i think it's been cut it's become more more personal in that sense
1: so i'm a trainer for the american foundation for suicide prevention i'm yeah, you know, I'm one of their support group facilitator trainers. So they train facilitators around the country to run groups for people who've had someone die from suicide. One of the things I bring up in there all the time is the traditional setting for a support group is you have an open circle with nothing, n- nothing in the middle of the room, right? No, no barrier. One of the things, interestingly enough, just doing the work over the years, I discovered I, I, I put a table in the middle of a room. I was, I was. Su- I was facilitating a, um, a bereaved moms group and, and they, they, want, like to have, they like to drink coffee during the meeting. So I was like, man, they're having to balance it on their knee. So I just put a table in the, middle, in the middle of all of us and they would put their coffee on the table. And I'm telling you, people opened up in a way that they didn't when they were sitting in an open circle. It did give you something to lean on to kind of feel protected. Because you're already vulnerable and now you have something you can to ground you. I've also noticed that on the video calls, that there's not, you do have like I actually we'll have we'll have people on the call and they'll be holding a pillow or holding something in front of them. Uh, and it gives them something to hold on to and ground them while they're talking about very difficult things to express and talk about. Yeah. One of my questions was. Is there any research on the effectiveness of using technology, right? The only person I could find in the bereavement field that has been writing about this, but her name is Carla Sofka it's Dr. Carla Sofka, and if you look if you Google her, you will come up with some really good information where she talks about I'd say for the last 15 years just about she's been talking about technology and bereavement but but there's not a lot of research specifically to bereavement. What I did find when I, when I did a a search, I pulled out three that I found that I wanted to share with all of you. They're not specific to bereavement, but I got thinking, well, there's other conditions and things that people are using technology to deal with. Well, if people who are are dealing with depression can attend an online group and they can, they can see improvement, then surely we can, uh, you know, we can associate that with, um, with bereavement and say, you know, people who are bereaved can also uh, access uh, technology um, for these purposes. So the first one is a 2012 study out of Australia. Uh, it was um, titled The Effectiveness of an Online Support Group for Members of the Community with Depression, a Randomized Controlled Trial. And so what they did is it was a... Um, They actually out of a group of, I think it was 70,000, right? They they mailed, did a snail mail out to 70,000 individuals. They ended up having 311 that they pulled in that met all the criteria they were looking for. And basically it was 311 adults aged 18 to 65 who were recruited um, using that community-based screening. Uh, There was some of the findings, there was no change in depressive symptoms relative to control group after just three months. So the control group was a group that was not receiving support for care, but the group did show significantly greater reduction in depressive symptoms. It was significant um, at six months and at 12 months when they did follow-up as compared to the control group. They found that there was an improvement in self-esteem, in sense of empowerment, and in the perceived quality of life. And interesting, when I looked at those three things, I said, well, those are actually three things that are impacted when we are depressed, right? How we think about ourselves, we feel like we're powerless and can't do anything, and then we feel like our lives just don't have the same level of of meaning that they have. So it's not shocking, but I did want to point out that, again, this was through, these folks did not go to in-person support, they were getting their support online. The next one that I found was a 2014 internet-based versus face-to-face cognitive behavioral intervention for depression. So it was, they were doing using cognitive behavioral therapy um, and doing intervention for depression, but they the study compared a internet-based group and a face-to-face group. They had 62 participants, 32 were internet-based and 30 were face-to-face there was no significant difference between the groups. And they're finding no significant difference between whether you were in the face-to-face group or you were on the part of the internet group. The conclusion of that study was that internet-based intervention for depression is equally beneficial to regular face-to-face therapy. The last one was a meta-analysis. So it was a 2018 meta-analysis, and it was a group that, that searched out the literature They found 64 um, trials um, on the effectiveness of internet-based, and this was very specifically cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, I mean, that's that's actually a pretty good number Find 64 actual, you know, uh, research projects on this particular topic. The benefit of the care, um, internet-based, was evident across four disorders, so they had four disorders they were looking at major depression panic disorder social anxiety disorder and generalized anxiety disorder and the study found that that it was that there was an impact a positive impact on all four of those through this internet-based cognitive behavioral therapy for the anxiety and depressive disorders is effective acceptable and a practical and practical for healthcare.
0: And I want to interject that online doesn't necessarily mean virtual support. It could be the um, additional supportive services that might help to enhance the the support that you're already offering. Um, One of the other things that we have done um, is in really a direct response to our young adults, who wanted to connect um, in a way they communicate, Uh, their grief for them isn't um, five o'clock every other Tuesday. They want to connect with others who understand um, as soon as they want to connect. So we developed an app, and it initially started really as a community Um, just for our young adults aged 18 to 25 and we were getting so many inquiries and so we expanded that to a um, to broaden the age group to align ourselves with most um, centers supporting young adults so we increased that to 18 to 30 and then we were also getting a lot of inquiry from professionals and so we created a professionals community right on the app. So for you professionals, we invite you to um, join the app um, if you'd like. And on there, there are faculty members, hospice members, grief support centers, so on and so forth, all looking to serve best their, their bereaved um, individuals that they serve. So then with that, Um, i want to thank our audience and hope you found this discussion informative i invite you to visit us at healgrief.org to learn the breadth and scope of all of our services and how they might be an extension of the great work you already do and you can always contact me directly at fran at healgrief.org and last if you know of an adult young or old who is grieving a death loss and in need of additional support and connections or distance and logistics makes it difficult for them to attend personal peer support. Please let them know there is a thriving virtual community of others who feel heard and understood at Heal Grief, home of Actively Moving Forward, best known as AMF. And with that, I wanna thank everybody.